to you just a couple of these passages, and we will make mention of the passages here in 2 Samuel in just a moment. So you may want to open up to 2 Samuel 15 and just keep your finger there. But in Mark's gospel, let me just read a couple quick things that sort of set the tone for what we're wanting to share with you tonight. Uh, Mark's gospel, chapter 3. Mark 3 and 24. We read these words, Jesus himself speaking. He says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Um, can I just share with you that as an example, these last couple of elections, and I understand how democracy works, democracy is real messy, and, um, you know, you put a vote in the hand of an American and anything can happen. Um, but we know not too many elections ago, you remember, it was so close that it boiled down to one county in Florida and then it got kicked up to the Supreme Court. And we all remember uh, how much uh, upheaval came from that. And I don't know that we've ever gotten over that as a nation. Uh, just the division that came at that point. And... I remember even the words of Elijah when he said, how long will you halt between two opinions? And, and so we know that when, when a country's divided, when, when a household's divided, when a ministry's divided, division, uh, division in most instances is an instigation of the enemy. And so uh, Jesus said it just can't stand, which means conversely that if there's unity, the work will stand. Now, in the book of Proverbs, there's another passage that's real interesting. Proverbs chapter 6, beginning with verse 16. Uh, These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven, are an abomination to him. Now, it's interesting because we're going to hear the Lord's list here. And, you know, maybe there's some assumptions as to what you might think would be on God's list. But why don't you listen to what he says? Verse 17, he says, a proud look, a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and then finally it says, and one who sows discord among brethren. Isn't that interesting? God hates that. They're considered to be an abomination. I know for many of us, we might have put some other sins on the list. We would have thought they might have ranked higher than some of these. Because that last one, one who sows discord among the brethren, how many of you know that's, that oftentimes that's just a prayer request? I'm just, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just sharing this with you to pray about this. All right, that's just humor. All right, 2 Samuel 15. 2 Samuel 15, we want to talk about Absalom. And as you're finding, or hopefully you're already there in 2 Samuel 15, let's get started on our notes. Satan's strategy is usually simple and to the point. Divide and conquer. He knows if he can bring division, then no marriage, no family, no business, no church will survive. Even the nation of Israel was brought to collapse because of division. You know, is it not interesting that Israel was sustained as a nation and an entity until division came to it, and there came a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. 
And I'm not here to get into all the dynamics of why division took place, except to say that once that division took place, then they were ripe for destruction. You see, that's when destruction began to take place, was after the division. Our great nation is divided, and it shall fall if we do not understand and have revelation as to what the spirit working behind the scenes is. I like what Bill Gothard wrote years ago now. He said, strife doesn't just happen. Nobody stays awake at night and plans for it. It usually develops over a period of time when certain attitudes and characteristics are allowed to find a place of habitation in the spirit of a person or in the heart of a person. No one suddenly finds themselves as a source of discontent. It is a process that develops through various stages before it fully manifests. Now, again, uh, we call this school of ministry, I told you we perhaps should have called it school of maturity, because probably of all the lessons we share, this one really has to deal with maturity. Because truth of the matter is, we're always going to be faced with opportunities and moments that we can grow, not just discouraged, but discontent. You, you don't like where you're at. You don't like where you work. You don't, you don't like something that happened at church. You don't like something that's going on in your marriage or your family. I mean, you, you, you know we've tried to apply this as, as broadly as possible, but there comes a moment discontent uh, steps into your life, and discontent can be a door for the enemy to come in to lead you places that you don't want to go. I mean, we all know that when people become, and whether it's the man or the woman, if they become discontent in their marriage, do you know that's a right place for the enemy to come and to give options to you? Um, discontent. Um, now, there, there can be times we, we feel stirred to move, and, and, and sometimes God, in order to change us, will stir us a little bit. But these things have to be worked through righteously. And, and so I, I just... I just want to take a few moments because as we're studying for those who are maturing and, and hopefully will one day walk through perhaps doors of leadership, um, you need to understand how discontent can work in a person's life. I wrote down here, some rebellion is aggressive and in your face as it manifests in people's lives. It's interesting, in my children, I have three children, and, and isn't it amazing how, how two people can literally create three human beings from the same genetic pool, and they're all different. I mean, they're just as different as night and day. And, and you would think they came from, you know, different directions, but they all came from the same gene pool. And it's amazing because just dealing with the boys, I'll tell you this, I have one boy whose rebellion is just up front, in your grill, I'll show it to you and I don't give a rip. And then I have another boy that's a little bit more clandestine and sneaky. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a sneaky snake. Yeah. And 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 it's it's amazing. So some rebellion is like that. Some rebellion, you've met you've met people just like that. They don't care who watches them or sees them or they, everybody can know it for all I care. My rebellion is up front and there. But there are others whose rebellion is a little bit more stealth. In fact, I put down here it's more passive. Even can be sweet. I use the term sweet rebellion. They'll still smile at you and rebel. And, and they'll talk softly, but they'll maintain their critical and, and striving ways. I, I put Eddie Haskell. Everybody watch Leave it to Beaver. You remember Eddie Haskell? 
Eddie Haskell was always getting Wally and the Beave in trouble. But whenever Mrs. Cleaver showed up, Eddie was so funny. Hello, Mrs. Cleaver. Don't you look nice today, Mrs. Cleaver. But don't you know? And we all laugh just like now. But we all laugh because we know that as soon as Mrs. Cleaver leaves the room, Eddie is, is going to be in a mess. And, you know, I had friends in my life growing up that were Eddie Haskell's. I don't know that I was a Eddie Haskell, but I, I had friends that were Eddie Haskell's. Some of your children might be one or the other or have one. They could be one or they could have one. Just because they're blowing smoke at you doesn't mean it's all together. So rebellion comes in many different ways. Uh, Dag Heward Mills speaks of the nature of an independent spirit. He says, an in independence is not a characteristic of a true sheep. You never see sheep alone. Sheep are dependent upon a shepherd. If a sheep is alone, it risks being attacked by a wolf. In fact, it's fascinating that wolves tend to be independent. So an independent sheep could actually be a wolf in sheep's clothing. See, a true sheep wants to follow the shepherd. Now, this is interesting. Sheep like to be together. Have you ever seen a herd of snakes? Now, I, I, actually, I saw a, a herd of snakes, but it was intentional. It was a rattlesnake roundup in Oklahoma. But normally, when you find a snake or run across a snake, they're always alone. And, and, and nobody follows a snake, and a snake is hard to get to follow anything else. A snake is both dangerous and defenseless. Why? Because it has no shepherd. So watch out for snakes, all right? We'll just leave that one alone. Now let's talk about Absalom. We need to talk about him in 2 Samuel 15 in those first six verses. Let me just read this to you. 2 Samuel 15, 1. After this, it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots, horses, and 50 men to run before him. I'm going to stop there, and, and let me just give you a quick synopsis here. Um, I know that paragraph uh, is there, but let me synopsize what happened. Absalom was one of the sons of David, along with other children, his other children. We know Solomon was an offspring of David, but there were two other children, Amnon and, and Tamar. And uh, what happened was, as the story goes, that, that Amnon... Uh, was incredibly dysfunctional. And he saw his sister, Tamar was actually his half-sister, and, and he began to see Tamar, and he began to long for her. Or in other words, he wanted to have a sexual relationship with his sister. And uh, obviously that was forbidden. Uh, you know, we could use all sorts of terms. Forbidden is the, is the nice term, other than disgusting and perverted. But, but he, he was, he was so, so consumed with that lust that the day came that he actually uh, raped his half-sister, and, um, and it became a terrible thing. Well, David eventually uh, became knowledgeable of what had taken place, and, and David should have dealt with it. In fact, let me just stop here and say this. D David, for whatever reason, uh, as great as he was all through the years, when it came to his children, he had a difficult time with confrontation. D David just refused to confront any of his kids. In fact, to be honest with you, even what Absalom begins to do to him, David refuses to confront it. He refuses to confront Amnon. 
And what happens is when Absalom hears of this and knows what has taken place, he gets a great offense towards his dad, David. And that offense begins to eat at him. And as it eats at him, it begins to turn into something far more deadly and, 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 and far greater. And, and to show you just the depth, really, I believe, of the offense, and I was rereading these passages today, kind of getting my mind in gear for tonight, and I did not realize, but when Absalom married and he had a, a daughter, he named his daughter Tamar. And, and that's how offended, really, he was over uh, the injustice and the unfairness uh, that took place uh, in his, in his half-sister's life. Now, I wrote on the second page, if you want to go ahead and turn to the second page, when division begins to come, it always starts as a tiny seed of offense or frustration. Absalom was furious at his brother. He was mad at his dad because it seemed like his dad wasn't handling it like he thought it ought to be handled. And the problem was Absalom's offense grew somewhat out of speculation. Because the truth of the matter is, although we know now because we know the whole story, the truth of the matter is, at the time, Absalom had no idea what his dad may or may not do in this situation. He had just got offended out of a speculation. Now, I'm going to stop here and say this for just a moment. It's easy to get offended when you don't know the whole story. This has happened to me through the years. People have been offended with me, and I know that, and I, and, and I also know that just because I'm a human being and sort of my disposition and personality, you know, I, I, I can rub people wrong. I've, I've learned that and try to do my best not to solicit that because of my humanity. But above and beyond that, there are times you make decisions and you have to implement certain things or change has to come and, 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 and switches have to take place. Any one of a hundred things and people get offended and they don't know the whole story. They just, they've speculated themselves into something, and out of that speculation, this offense grows. Can I just say this? If you're, you ought not get offended, but if you're going to get offended, at least be offended with the facts. All right? Be, be offended with the facts. Now, now, you ought not be offended at all, but nonetheless, uh, at, least, at least run down the facts. People will leave a church or start strife because they're hurt or wounded most of the time. There's usually some, some offense and a hurt that has happened. Uh, pastor didn't meet my need. This, or pastor, I'm not getting fed. I mean, I understand all the things that are out there. They were promoted ahead of me. Now, listen, here's a key, and you may need to underline this or highlight this in your notes. An unhealed person, or really better said, a person not pursuing their wholeness is unqualified to lead. Now, the reason I say a person not pursuing their wholeness is because all of us are on a journey. Amen? I mean, I'm not perfect and you're not perfect, and so we just got that out of the way, didn't we? All of us are pursuing wholeness. But if, but if we're not pursuing wholeness or, or if we want un, unhealed areas to exist, then we're, we're unqualified uh, to lead. And this is going to be... Uh, so evidently, powerfully underscored at the end of this lesson when I read you some things from a tale of three kings. But all division starts as a tiny seed of offense or frustration. Number two, what does Absalom do? Well, he begins to maneuver to gain recognition or visibility. I already read you verse one, but it says in verse two, now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. So it was whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision, 
that Absalom will call to him and say, what city are you from? And he would say, your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Now, this is really interesting because, you know, out of this whole debacle that took place in David's household, Absalom, of course, was so offended and incensed that he ends up killing Amnon. And because he killed Amnon, he went on the run because he was fearful that because he killed his father's son, that his father would exact revenge upon him. And so he went on the run for a, a period of time. I suspect it was probably even years. And the time came when he wanted to be uh, back before the king, and the king wanted him as well. And so David, believe it or not, uh, forgives Absalom. He actually brings him into his presence. He gives him a kiss. It absolutely ticks off Joab, and, and Joab becomes a problem later <laughs> because he was offended because Absalom was received back into his dad's court, and he didn't think he should do it, so Joab gets offended. See, in the, in the enemy just really, I mean, he's smart. He's a smart enemy. So Absalom is received back into the good grace, uh, graces of his dad, but despite the fact that his dad forgives him, and he was the one that murdered his brother, it still hasn't fixed the offense in Absalom's heart. So he uses this as a moment to begin to implement his plan for division. And what happens is he stands by the gate there of the city. It's a prominent location. So as everybody's going in, they all can see him as they enter the city. I don't know if you've ever watched at times. I've just seen certain things through the room. You know, there are people. Now, I'm not saying this is everybody. I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, uh, cause you to get double-minded over your friendliness or anything like that. But I've been not only in church but other venues, and I've watched people work a room. Have you ever seen someone work a room? You've been to office parties or something or, and seen somebody work a room, and you know it, they ain't working it because they're all that friendly. They're working it. Well, what we say nowadays is we're networking. But they're working the room because they, they want to be sure they're, they're connecting and contacting. And, and Absalom, it's interesting, he's standing by the gate, and, of course, he's networking there as people are going through the gate. And he's not really out to help people but rather help himself by means of the people. He takes an interest in people for his own promotion. Now, the reason uh, here at Legacy we have certain processes that we, 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 you know, we want people to move through, especially as they move into higher visible areas of ministry and teaching positions, is because hopefully... As we're working through this process together, we can begin to gently expose or unveil Absalom tendencies in people's lives. Because not everybody's just looking to be a servant. Do you know that? Some people are looking for a position. They're looking, they're, they're, you know, they're looking just for their visibility. And, and that has to be worked out and dealt with in our life. Uh, people at church... Uh, sometimes have a free agent philosophy, I call it, for, as, uh, for so long that at times, uh, boy, that doesn't seem like I typed that quite right there. But they're not consciously aware of the path they're on. However, it needs to be unveiled, all right? Those, those things inside, the need to be seen needs to be unveiled. Then number three, these are the stages of division. Number three, what he does at the gate is he begins to receive reports of how the king or leadership has failed. It says here in verse 3 that Absalom would say to him, Look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. And so he begins to listen to why people were going in and out of the gate. They were needing, they were needing certain decisions to be made, certain 
certain uh, areas of decisions had to be rendered in order uh, for their lives to go forward. And so what happened was he would stand at the gate and he would give ear to those who had a beef. In fact, he became the ear for the disgruntled in the kingdom. And so by receiving their criticisms, what happened is he would validate their complaints and he would begin to steal their heart by appearing more sympathetic than those who were either going to hear what they were going to say or had already heard what they were saying. And there have been a lot of times when people have come to me and said, you know, words like these, Pastor, a lot of people are saying, well, my, my answer is this. Number one is who? Well, I can't give any names. Well, then that's no good. Because what does that mean? You and your wife or your husband? I don't know. What does that mean? A lot of people. Define a lot for me. A lot of people. Well, and, and a lot of times that'll, that'll dwindle it down. Um, but but you got to be careful. Let me just, just, let me just say this, that it, people, we want to communicate with people and we want to hear their, their, their challenges and their issues and even their problems. And even if they feel like something isn't going quite the way they think it ought to go, I'm not saying that you can't communicate, but, but be very, very careful because after a while you have to ask yourself if you're helping them get through their discontent or are you enabling them to stay discontented? You know, after a while, and I've had relationships like this that, that I've, I've, after a while, I began to feel like people's garbage disposals. I am not people's garbage disposal. I want to listen to a complaint or listen to what's wrong, and, and, and I want to change as much as anybody. But after a while, if, if all you're getting is, is junk, then what makes you any different than a garbage disposal or a trash can? All right? So you got to be sensitized to this. I mean, watch politicians and see how they seize people's complaints and they begin to agree with them. Why? Is it to help them or to get a vote? See, now you're understanding what Absalom, Absalom wasn't out to help these people. Absalom was out to get their support so when the time was right, he could enter into his coup and he could be the king. So there was a receiving of, of these leadership failures. Be careful. I'm not, again, we don't have to cut people off and, you know, for years, and I lived under, I called it the Babylonian system. Most denominations I call Babylonian systems. And, and what I mean by that is, is that there's confusion. And, and most of you that have been with me for years know that I, I like biblical order. I, I'm just, I'm driven by order. I believe that if the pattern's right, God will bless it. I believe that God doesn't move in just anything. He moves in divine design. That is not an HGTV show. That is that is scriptural, that when the pattern's right, the glory falls. They just didn't get to build any old tabernacle. They had to build a tabernacle that had the right curtains, the right holders, the right rods, the right gold, the right wood. It just couldn't be, it just couldn't be any old kind of wood. It had to be gopher wood or, or acacia or whatever they called it. I mean, and if, you didn't, and if you didn't build it right, the intimation was God wouldn't have dwelt in it. Are you following me? So you see, a part of our problem in the church is we just want to do it our way, and then we say, God, come dwell in it. And you can't do that. And that's why um, the American church is not as powerful as it could be. But if we will build his house by divine design, he will come. It's his house. He will come and dwell in it. And, and those of you that have walked with me know that through the years, through leadership challenges and these sorts of things, People have, people have, have, 
picked with them sort of the American democratic mentality. That's what they bring with them to church. They figure since we, since we vote in America, we ought to be voting in the church. Well, show me a vote in the, in the scripture. I, I can tell you they only voted two, three times, and all of them were disasters. Remember, they sent the 12 spies in, and it came back 10-2. We aren't going in. That was not the will of God. But they had a 10-2 vote. When they lost Judas, they wanted to put a new apostle in. So they got together and they voted, and they voted in Matthias. I've often said this. Matthias was probably a good guy. But how many of you know we never hear from Matthias again? If they would have waited and let God reveal or unveil, who probably was the apostle that replaced Judas? See, you all know that. They didn't need a vote to figure that one out. But oftentimes in the church, we just get a brain cramp, and this is what we do. And I've seen this through the years. I've seen, I've seen even in, in boards, church boards, and you can call them deacon boards or elder boards or trustee boards or steward boards or whatever it is, and people will, will say, Pastor, I believe we're here because you need a check and a balance, and we're the ear of the people, and we're going to... And you know what? That's Babylonian. That's Babylonian. The, the truth of the matter is leadership is knit to the set one in order that in unity, right? Where God commands unity, he commands the blessing, the scripture says. Where there's unity, he commands the blessing. And in unity, we can go forward. When there's division, nobody goes forward. And so you've got to be careful. As you're beginning beginning to move forward and as you're becoming leadership material and as, as, as you're wanting to be used by God, there comes a moment when, you're, when, when God hasn't called you to be the devil's advocate for the ministry. I had one guy one time on a church board meeting said, well, pastor, I feel like I'm here in order to be the devil's advocate. I said, I fight the devil nearly every day and I'm glad we finally put a face on that guy. I don't need a devil's advocate. I need someone who's God's advocate. I mean, we just say these things, and we're going, what are you saying? Amen. I'm glad you're laughing. I, I want to be of a good spirit as we deal with Absalom. So they receive leadership failures. Number four, then what happens? He begins to promote himself. It says here in verse four, more, moreover, Absalom would say, oh, oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me, then I would give them justice. Oh, If I were the king, this is what I would do. If I were the boss, this is what I would do. If I were pastor, this is what I would do. And so what happens is, is Absalom begins to elevate himself in the eyes of those who will listen. And he takes on the appearance of one who can be king if the people were to help him. Are you following me? He begins to promote himself. Number five, he begins to cast suspicions concerning leadership. It says here in that same verse, he says that uh, everyone who had suit or cause, I would give them justice. The, the, the intimation is, is that they're not getting justice. The insinuation is, well, you know, the king isn't just. Can I just say insinuation and innuendo is really the same as false accusation in a critical spirit. It is simply more refined, and it, it is, I think it's even more difficult to deal with. Have you ever heard statements like these? Well, you know, something's up at church, but I can't talk about it because I don't want to enter into gossip. <laughs> well, what did you just do? 
You just sowed suspicion. Well, I know I just some things that are really concerning me in the house of God, and I'm just I can't I can't say anything about it, but would you join me in prayer? I just got done talking to the pastor, and all I have to say is it's a good thing I love this ministry. See, innuendo, innuendo isn't fair. I just put down here, it's slimy. It's a way to not have to be accountable for being critical because you really didn't say anything. Nobody can come get you and say you were being critical or, or challenge you on that because you could say, I didn't say, I said I love the ministry. In, in that sly, he begins to cast suspicion. Number six, he begins to manipulate then the hearts of the people. 2 Samuel 15, 5. And so it was whenever anyone came near to bow down to him that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. Now, I'm here to tell you, I don't know that I could be Absalom. I ain't going to be kissing no guys. I don't care if it's on their hand or on their cheek. That's the one verse that says, greet the brethren with a holy kiss. And I'm going, I don't know about that one. Verse 6, in this manner Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment, so Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. It is fascinating that both Absalom and Judas were notorious kissers. <laughs> and they were also betrayers. Few people aside from my wife have the ability to kiss me on the cheek or the neck, but I am amazed of the percentage that does. And then leaves. I'm just making observations. Some people kiss up to you in order to steal your heart for their own ends. Absalom was wounded and offended, which gave him an ability to reach out and use others who were wounded and offended too. Absalom didn't want to heal them. He wanted to use them. All right? Are you following this? Number seven. Then what happens? Deception enters in. Verse seven. Now it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said to the king, wow, please let me go to Hebron and pay the vow which I made to the Lord. For your servant took a vow while I dwelt at Geshur in Syria, saying, If the Lord indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. Absalom tells the king that he wants to go to Hebron to worship God, and he receives his dad's blessing. Yet we will find out that it is a ruse to implement and overthrow the kingdom. He is smiling and telling the king good things while he's undermining him behind the scenes. In fact, here in verse 10, it says, Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. So he's already beginning to make plans to manifest this rebellion. By this time, there are those who have made an allegiance with Absalom and are implementing the plan. And the announcement is really a lie. Absalom does not reign in Hebron, but the people's hearts are not capable of discerning the truth at this point. It's, it's always amazing uh, in church life. And I'm just going to help you. I, I, I understand. I'm working. I am working, and I say this just because I want to keep it like, you know, like Fox, fair and balanced. I just want to keep it fair and balanced that I understand there are shepherds and there are leaders that do despicable things. They use people. They're not right. They're out of bounds, and they need to be dealt with, and, and I, I get that. And the other side of the equation is, is that there have, there have also been 
uh, people and congregations that have, that have abused and have undermined and have done things as well. In fact, there have been leaders, under pastors, that have done things to undermine and, and abuse as well. And, and I'm, just, I'm just trying to share and help you not have to go around the same mountains and around the same issues that I have watched. You know, I, I, you know, I don't believe that there's ever been an Absalom moment in my life that I have, but, but I've seen Absalom moments. I understand my own shortcomings as well. And the truth of the matter is, is that, is that through the years, I've just watched people who, when they hear the, the, uh, things, they, what they do is they get double-minded. And folks, what you've got to do at that moment is you've got to go back to the Word because you can't get double-minded when you're in the Word. And even in my own challenges, and some of you were faithful and helpful in that, and God, God helped you through that. Uh, I'll never forget Tim and Casey, just Casey in point that uh, years ago when we were in that challenging situation years ago, uh, I remember Tim telling me the story as all this is happening and this is being said or that is being said and innuendos being thrown out, not to mention lies and other things that are going around and the whole thing's in this big whirlwind. I'll never forget uh, Tim telling the story and it was one of the wisest things because he went back to the word because the word said if you strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. And I remember what he told me. He said, at that moment, the Lord said to him, just keep your eyes on the shepherd. At that moment, that God works through shepherds. And through that, I think he would say, if he had opportunity, I wouldn't presume to speak for him, but I can tell you that I think their lives have been blessed and they've been helped and enlarged and God has done amazing, incredible things in their life. And, and I certainly appreciate, of course, their their support and their help through the years, as well as many others that are with us as well. But, but the key is, is that that's why, you gotta, that's why we're teaching the Word here. That's why you got to get back to the Word. What does the Word say? And when I begin to see it in the Word, then, then I know what the voice of the Lord is. Number nine, the innocent. What happens is the innocent are ensnared. Verse 11, it says that with Absalom went 200 men invited from Jerusalem, and they went along innocently and didn't know anything. I mean, they're just along for the ride. They don't know what's going on. And, and, and the saddest part is, is that they were killed in this, in this coup or in this division. You know, they just, they just got caught up in the moment. They just threw their hat in with Absalom, and, and they, didn't know, they didn't know anything. They weren't a part of, of the inside scoop. They just threw their hat in. And the saddest part is that whenever there's division like this, the innocent usually get killed, and that's the saddest part of all. If we don't get a revelation of authority and unity, it can be to our own demise. Today in the body of Christ, many people have been duped into divisions that were not biblical in its origin. Now, division does at times have a scriptural place. Do you understand America divided off of the United Kingdom, right? But can I just share this with you that the reason... I believe that was a scriptural division. I used to not teach this, but I've come and changed my mind on it. This is one of those times I've got, I've got ongoing revelation. I honestly believe America was right to enter into that division, and I tell you why. It's because they had petitioned the king more times, really, than you can count. They appealed to the king, and we will talk about appealing in these next, I don't know, it may be the next lesson, but in the next couple lessons, I'm going to show you that if you feel like something's going wrong, how do you appeal? How do, you, how, do you make, how do you make an appeal in a biblical manner that could express your concerns or that could express your, 
you know, whatever your discontent. How, how, if, if I've got this feeling, I don't like having this feeling, I don't want to have this feeling, so how do I express this in a way that's scriptural and godly and righteous? Well, there's a way to do that, and we're going to share with you how you do that. But, but uh, our forefathers, interestingly enough, did that. They made appeals to the king about taxation. They made appeals to the king about representation. Do you know that if you'll go back and you'll read the Declaration of Independence, they will list through that declaration. In fact, they said that, that if, a, if, a, if a group of people are going to break away and form a new government, the very phrase in there is that then these things should be declared to a watching world. And they go through the list of all the ways they appealed to the king of England in order to address the grievances, in order to demonstrate to him, and this is what's interesting, and many of you know this already, that their grievances were biblical. It's just like a marriage. Do you understand? There are biblical reasons to divide a marriage. Adultery is one of them. God doesn't require you. Now, the highest level of his will would be somehow to keep that relationship together and get, seek forgiveness and healing. But, but, but God knows the human heart, and so he gives what I believe are three biblical reasons why a marriage can be dissolved. I call it the three A's, adultery, abuse, or abandonment. And I believe I can make a biblical case for those three reasons why, if after working through it, there's a reason for a division to take place there. I believe that there are reasons in churches for division. I mean, there are, there are denominations out there right now that are ordaining practicing homosexuals to preach the gospel. I'm telling you, I'd be out of there quicker than an Alabama bootlegger. But I don't drink. No, I'm the teetotaler. But I know how fast they can move. But you see, I'm just telling you, you can't, there, there, there's appropriate moments for division. So I don't want you to go away here and think, well, you mean I'm stuck? No, no, there's a way to address that, but, but we're now getting to that point. How do I address that? How, how, do, how do I do that without being Absalom? How do I do that without, without invoking a curse? How do, I, how do I do that? There's a way to do that, all right? Um, number 10, and, and Absalom will always, unfortunately, hang themselves in time. 2 Samuel 18, 9, the scripture tells us that Absalom, during this whole upheaval, met the servants of David. He was riding on a mule. The mule went under a thick uh, bow of great terebinth tree, and his head caught in the terebinth, and so he was left hanging between heaven and earth, and the mule which was under him went on. In other words, he had, Absalom had this long, flowing, beautiful hair, the scripture tells us, and as he was riding, he went under this tree which apparently had thorns. I don't, I don't know exactly what a terebinth tree looks like, but, but it caught his hair, and he was literally hanging from his hair in the tree, and it's a tragic ending. And I want you to know God is patient with everybody. He's hoping they'll come back to him in repentance. Uh, but as I've often said, God doesn't always work fast, but eventually everyone has a day of reckoning. I have found that truth isn't always quick, but it will show up. And uh, so we want to do this God's way. How to avoid becoming an Absalom? Well, don't let offenses and hurts and wounds and disappointments fester in you. See, as a leader, you must quickly forgive and refuse to hold a grudge. And you have to learn to do that now. Because I'll guarantee you, when you step into more visible positions, I mean, when you're in the light, you're just easier to shoot at. 
When you're at the top of the pyramid, as we mentioned to you in the first trimester, it's just easier to have stones thrown at you, thrown at you, thrown at you. (laughs) I'm an English major. All right, thrown at you. Your decision-making abilities will be greatly impaired if your lenses are clouded by an offense. Take it from somebody who knows. Life happens, and it is easy to get offended. Can I just share a couple of instances with you? I know people, and and it's happened with both men and women, who've gone through divorces, and they they never dealt with the offenses of their divorces so much that, that when they meet a potential spouse or a relationship, it never works out because they see in every relationship the person that they were offended with. Are you with me? If you're a woman, you just see your ex in every guy. You see your ex every time. They may even say a phrase that sounds a little like your ex, and it, all of a sudden it, it brings back everything. And, and truth of the matter is you've not gotten over the offense. Vice versa. There's there's men who every time they see a woman, they may see how their heart was torn out or they were burned. And and every time, and that's not, is that fair to the person? No. Can I just share this with you? You may have had a legitimate issue somewhere in your past with with a church situation or a pastor. And you know what? I I really, I'm sorry about that. And I wish I could change that for you. I want you to be healed and whole, but I'm going to say this out loud. I'm not them. And I've had issues with congregations and people. And, and, and they've aggravated me or irritated me or, or, or unjustly done something to me. And can I just say this? You're not them. That's true. Absolutely. You're not them. You don't want to be saddled with my offending experience, nor do I want to be saddled with your offending experience. That's why it's so important that you and I get healed and whole and get offense-free. Because that way, we can begin to have a journey together that's healthy and that God can do something great in and and big in. So put injustice and unfairness into the hands of God. You cannot assume the place of God when it comes to dealing with your authority. And again, there's, we've been talking about this, and, and there's more yet to go. This is only lesson six, so we got four more to go. Joab killed Absalom. Because he thought he knew better than David. You know, when Absalom got his hair caught in the tree, Joab, who was already offended because David had forgiven Absalom, you remember the story now. I can tell you what's going on here. Sees Absalom hanging from his hair in the tree. And you know what Joab's saying? He's saying this. He's saying, if I cut him down out of that tree, I'm going to take him back to his dad, and his dad's going to kiss him again. That's exactly. That's what Joab's saying. Joab's saying if... If, if, if he'll take him back after he murdered his own brother, I know what he's going to do if I take him back. And so you know what Joab decided to do? Joab decided he'd just take care of it himself. And he didn't do that because that was God's will or God's way or even the ways of the kingdom. He did it because he was offended. He killed him because he was offended. And he even rebukes David later. David begins to lament. If we could read on, you'll find that David is a father begins to lament the death of Absalom. And Joab rebukes the king, saying, what are you crying about? He was trying to take over your kingdom. Man, he was going to kill you. And later on, David whispered in Solomon's ear as David was giving over the kingdom to Solomon. He whispered in Solomon's ear. This is what he said. He goes, Saul, son, if I were you, 
I'd get rid of Joab. And Solomon had him killed. And, and, and Joab reached that end as well because he didn't deal with his offenses. See, I understand we're not killing people in the 21st century. I get it. But can I just tell you, your offenses will kill you. I'm, I'm just telling you, your offenses and woundedness, if they are left unaddressed, will eventually, you holding it isn't hurting them. You holding it will eventually kill you. What do you do? Pray for those in authority. Again, when we get to the lesson on appealing, this is going to make so much sense to you. I'm going to, I'm going to begin to show you how, how do I handle something if I'm really struggling, if I'm discontent, I, I, I've got issues. How do I handle all this? I'm going to show you exactly how to handle this in a lesson that's coming up in just a couple of weeks. That's why I told you at the beginning, did I not? you got to stay for the whole deal because if you don't get it all, you, you, won't, you won't get the whole counsel. It's hard to be critical when you've spent time before the Lord interceding for that person. You need to intercede. If, if people have hurt you or wounded you or offended you, just begin to intercede for them and, and get through. Get through the initial prayer of God, get them. Oh, God, just put fleas in their bed. Put, put, let, let, let them be impervious to Ed's mosquito repellent and, and just send millions of mosquitoes. In, I, get through that to the place where you can begin to say, Lord, Oh, Lord, don't, 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 don't kill them. Don't harm them. Lord, speak to them. Help them. Cause, them. cause them to change. Cause them to repent. Cause them to have a heart after you. All right? It's, it's hard when you begin to pray for somebody to really keep holding a grudge. And prayer can actually do more good than any natural or earthly response in the flesh. Do you believe that? Do you believe prayer changes things? You're going to find out when you're offended, you'll find out whether you really believe prayer changes things or whether or not you gathering a posse will change things. Let me read a tale of three kings, and then we're done. Abishai rushed across the courtyard into an open door at the base of the east rampart and charged up the spiral staircase. Inside the top of the stairs, Joab stared down at Abishai, reaching for a torch, and began rushing down. In the flickering light of the torches, they met, each studying the face of the other intently. Abishai spoke. Have you heard, Joab? Heard, tis midnight, yet half the city is awake with the word. How can it be, Abishai, a son, meaning Absalom, against his own father? When the kingdoms are vulnerable, men see queer sights, responded Abishai with a distant stare. And will sacrifice anything to satisfy ambition, added Joab angrily. What think you of these things, Abishai? What think I, responded Abishai, matching Joab's anger with his own rage? This... Absalom has no authority in the kingdom. He holds no power, no office, yet he has risen up to divide the kingdom. He has raised his hand against the very anointed of God, against David, David, who's never done or spoken one evil word against him. What think I? Abishai's voice rose toward a crescendo. This, if Absalom, who has no authority, will commit this deed, if Absalom, who is nothing, will divide the very kingdom of God, his voice now rolled like thunder, Man, if Absalom will do these evil things now, what in the name of sanity might that man do if he be king? How many of you got Tale of Three Kings? Come on. I guarantee you, it's the best book you'll ever order. Stand with me, okay? 
and we'll pray.